What is up, you guys? Welcome back to your weekly dose of anime analysis with your favorite trio, the Hashira Half Hour. I'm the password reset email from your Crunchyroll account. Your host today, Brian. And as always, I'm joined by Emily. Hi, guys. What's up? It's Emily. Uh, this week, I am one of your unmolded um, oars from the table that Tanjiro has to pick from, but I'm working <laughs> on it. Hopefully, I'll be a sword someday. Nice to be here. Oh, my gosh. Um, hey, y'all. I'm Hannah, and I am one of the Ubiyashiki family's hairs that got messed up when Genya grabbed them by the head. Because I am just living the messy dream right now. <laughs> Can't get my life together. <laughs> You know what? Fair enough. I feel like, man, it's been a messy, wild time for all of us. So <laughs> I, feel, I hope the audience understands that it's been a messy, wild time. But nonetheless, this week we're going to be reviewing episode five, My Own Steel. So not a super action-packed episode, but we do pick up from a cliffhanger. And that's what I want to view the story from. I want to view it from the idea of fate. And how this idea presents itself in the episode and the moments that we see it in. But before we get into like fate and all that such, just what are the initial thoughts on the episode? Because like I said, not a lot of action happening, but definitely important things occur. Yeah, I um, I personally really love this episode. I, I will be honest with y'all. I have watched it probably four times in the last month because I've been introducing new people to the show. Okay. It's not that I'm that obsessive. Maybe a little bit. Um <laughs> He's staring me down. Oh, no. Um, but like you kind of touched on, there's not a ton of action in this episode. There is still a little bit. We really can see just Tanjiro's skill kind of come through at the beginning as he's slaying the rest of those demons and trying to talk to them. And, you know, after he asks them the question and they still pounce at him, he just doesn't hesitate and brings his sword down on their necks. Um, but I really liked that there was just a lot of world building in this episode. And a lot of characters got introduced. Some, you know, we still, as of where the anime is now, haven't really gotten to know a whole lot yet. Some, of course, we know and love very much. So it, it definitely was a great episode kind of introducing us to those characters and the world of Demon Slayer. And it just did a really good job at kind of in introductions to everything. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this episode is you know, kind of the transitional period into like the next part of the story, which is a little bit more action packed. So we've got kind of like the resolution of this training arc that he goes through. And something that's really great about Demon Slayer that we've touched on briefly in other episodes is that um, this training arc's not very long. And like this, uh, you know, this transition into Tanjiro joining the Demon Slayer core is relatively fast that this all happens but what that means is that we can kind of get into more of the meat of the story quickly and i think that that's introduced pretty well at the end of this episode where it's like okay we've gone through this training um we've attained this first goal now we have um, an immediate goal to be sent on our first mission and to kind of see what that's going to look like and you know of course the bigger overarching goal as well for tanjiro to try to find a way to turn nezuko back into a human so i think that this frames and sets all of that up really nicely yeah, I like that episode a lot for both those reasons as well, just because, uh, you know, it feels like we're turning a corner on this episode, right? Like, it definitely feels very transitional, but it's still like you see yourself building towards the apex of the overall storyline in Demon Slayer. And I think that's what's really cool about this episode. Going into Fate, the first moment I want to talk about is with Tanjiro and the Hand Demon and that Hand Demon's final moments. Uh, I think this 
like little span of time is really important because we see two junctions in which Tanjiro decides fate for the demon, right? First moment is when he actually decapitates the demon. He is deciding that that demon is no longer going to be allowed to live, right? So he then finishes that. But also that second moment of where he decides this demon's fate is when he blesses him with his prayer. And then we see this demon in his human form go back to his like long lost brother. And he's like, oh, silly brother, like there you are. So how do you guys feel about fate in mind with that? And what are your initial thoughts about that? You know, it is interesting that Tanjiro would be the one that's fated to kill this demon. And, you know, the fate of the demon aside as well, the, the demon has kind of set themselves up for failure in this situation, but they're very confident going into it because they've already killed so many of Irokodaki's uh, former pupils and they've been successful each and every time. Um, obviously, we know that Tanjiro is already a little bit special and so does Irokodaki. We've got the, the demon sister kind of toting along with him, which is extraordinarily unique. Um, you know, he kind of hails from this interesting family that we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, he's got the tragic backstory and a drive probably like no other to make sure that this gets done. So it really was not even a close competition. I feel like the decapitation happened so fast. Um, and, you know, there is like that kind of feeling of vengeance, I think, that we talked about in the last episode driving Tanjiro forward. But there is that contrast in the moments after where he does want to make sure that they are laid to rest peacefully um i think tanjiro is somebody that can uniquely do that i don't know that anybody else or any of the other uh, demon slayers that passed this initial exam would have felt the same kind of sympathy for the demons and so in his slaying of them he probably is the only one that is able to put them to rest although i do also think it's interesting that uh in the moment that he is dying the demon kind of visualizes or thinks that he's seeing Rokodaki instead of Tanjiro and it kind of morphs into him. It's like, this is the person that is destined to be the natural successor of the initial Hashira that would have taken him down. So it's a great, it's a great moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of different ways to describe fate, I think. Um, and definitely there was, I think it was fate that Tanjiro even, interacted with this demon you know you think about how large that area was for final selection and not only did he interact with him but he did like on his first night there so that he was full strength you know we saw by the end that he was exhausted like he could barely even walk home he had to use a stick so it's probably really good that he found him in the first night <laughs> um but just the fate of him being there to kill this demon, I think says a lot about the story as well, because it, it just, they're tied together with Tandra. Like, like you said, Emily being kind of this, how did you word it? <laughs> um, the next in line after Urdokadaki for being possibly the next water Hashira. I won't get into, you know, spoilers for what's to come, but just him seeing Udokadaki's face right when he was about to bring his sword down. Just, yeah, very, um, but fate really brought them together, for sure. That's what I'm trying to say. I also really like that they're, they're really sprinkling in so much development for Tanjiro. I think in this part of the story, we're still early enough on that they're really focused on developing him as a character with him being the main character. And 
this is our first time seeing really that side of empathy where he says that prayer as the demon is dying. Literally five minutes ago, he was so angry with him that he was seeing red. You know, we touched on in the last episode, they animated it. So his eyes, like the whites in his eyes were gone, which I think shows that he was seeing red. He was so angry. And yet he's still able to kill him and then say, please let this man be reborn as a human. And I think that speaks a lot to his character. My precious boy. I don't know if I was just like in a mood when I rewatched this episode, but like that made me like tear up. I was like, Mr. Demon Man, why? I was like, no. This show does such a good job of making us feel empathy for like even the most foul villains most of the time. And it kind of stinks because it's like, we don't want to feel bad, but it does make them more (laughs) complex and nuanced. Yeah. I mean, I. I've been dealing with a lot of people on TikTok lately that have been just like unneedingly hating on Demon Slayer because it's so straightforward and there's no complexities in the show. And I'm just like, bro, like relax. You obviously just watched like the first episode and don't care about it. But, um, you, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that, yes, the demons are evil. Yes, Tanjiro is good. There's no morally gray area. We know that the demons are evil. We know that the the demon slayers are not. Um, You know, a lot of people are expecting it to be like attack on Titan level morally gray. And I'm like, I don't need every show to make me question my life choices every single episode that I watch like attack on Titan does. I can appreciate that demon slayer is different, but yet they still have these moments where they humanize all of these demons as they're being slaughtered so that we actually feel for them. We see that they're, you know, they have messed up pasts that led them to where they're at now. And I think that's really great writing, in my opinion, and makes the show more complex than a lot of people like to say. To quote uh, Wreck-It Ralph, just because he's bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy, you know? <laughs> and I mean, that's really true, right? Like, <clears throat> I think kind of like leaning on what we've seen outside of this episode, but like knowing that like, these demons at one point were human, right? And we saw that with this episode, right? We saw the fate of how he first started with a Rokujaki and he clearly grew stronger, but there was a point in which he was maybe good. It was just those circumstances that kind of brought him here. And I think that kind of brings us to the outside world, right? Like a lot of people who end up being criminals in the real world or like people who end up in really bad situations, are they bad people? Or were they just given really unfortunate hands and never set up with the success to be something more? And I think that's really weird. Kind of Demon Slayer, t- like, opens, a, uh, I guess, like, a, a vortex into the real world, right? You get to see that exigence of what the piece means outside of its little anime world. So that's really cool, guys. I like we had that moment. I think so, too. And I, you know, I know that we're, like, focusing primarily on fate in this episode. And I, I think that it does a really nice job weaving that into the writing Um, you know, but of course, like the counter argument for fate every time is also like free will. So it's kind of about what do you do with those circumstances? And that really is the difference between the people that are the turned into the demons and then Tanjiro is like, they're both set with some very unfortunate circumstances, but very different decisions that they made on their own. And so like, is that fate? Because it was just like a culmination of a lot of things. Is that a little bit of free will too? Because they're making those decisions consciously, um, you know? I think there's an argument to be made there as well. I have so many thoughts on what you just said, 
but I think I'm going to put a pin on it because it really has to do with the entertainment district arc. And I can't wait to get into like that conversation. Obviously it's a little ways down the road. Um, but there are some direct parallels between the bad guys and the good guys in that season. And like I said, I'll put a pin on it so that in case anyone's listening to this that hasn't watched it yet, doesn't get spoiled, but um, just a lot of parallels and free will and fate. And it's based off of just because of what happened to them and the circumstances that it happened that led them to where they were. So I'm really excited to talk about that a little bit more, but like I said, that that's to come. <laughs> Right parallels. We don't want to give our listeners a pair of L's. Oh, oh, oh. my god! <laughs> did you All just right. dab? I sure did. Oh. That's what this is about, folks. All right, going in kind of to the next point of fate that I wanted to talk about was when we get to see our first moment with Haganezuka. Right, he shows up with his little bells, his hat. And then Tanjiro sees the mask on his face. He's like, ah, please come in, have some tea. And he's like, no, shut up. Let me tell you all about how I've developed this <laughs> sword, right? So uh, Haganazuka mentions that he is a bright child. His red eyes and red hair, and he's born into a lucky family of fire, right? And that his sword should turn red. How do we feel about fate in this moment? And kind of what we know with how his sword turned out, how does that compare to the fate that Hagen and Zuka wanted it for him? And what does that mean for the fate of Tanjiro overall, right? God, this is hard to answer without saying spoiler. <laughs> First of all, I, to, to get a little bit off the subject of fate really quick, just because I always like to talk about my boy. Um, another little tidbit that the writers are leaving us is that you know, Tanjiro so far has just kind of been a little bit average, I guess you could call it. Like, it took him two years to even be ready to do final selection. And we learn later that some characters were, you know, super high level after a few months. So we're, we're getting the feeling that he might be a little bit average. But also now they're leaving us these little crumbs that maybe he has some kind of potential of being extremely powerful. And even just this moment I felt was a little bit of a call to that with uh, him mentioning, hey, like, you are considered lucky. You have red hair and red eyes and you're born into a family that works with fire. Like, you could be special. And then, of course, his sword turns black, which is also another call to what is to come because black tends to mean that someone doesn't really know what they're going to do. And... It just leads us to know that fate for Tanjiro might be something different than what we're expecting now. Because if he were to just be a water breather, it would most likely turn blue. If he were to, you know, really hone in on the fact that he's a child of brightness, it would turn red. But instead it's black, which is just kind of that neutral color that's technically void of all colors. So what does that actually mean? We're going to find out. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. They mentioned that he is, of course, born of fire. But something that we've gathered so far is that, like, technically, like, yes, fire is a result of the product that his family offers. But really, he's a child born of coal. So he's kind of um, the spark that ignites that fire in the first place. So that's, okay. that's something that I noticed. It's like <laughs> um, unexpected. I think, mm -hmm. you know, obviously Iroka Daki does not expect the sword to turn black. Um, 
our our new favorite that we're gonna get to meet hopefully pretty soon um is enraged to see that it hasn't turned a bright shade of red because i think he was excited to see that um you know but they don't mention that it's unlucky it's just uncommon um it really kind of means that it could go in any direction and it's up to tanjiro to stoke those flames so that's what i gathered from it damn <laughs> i didn't see that part to it so i like that interpretation really what i took out of that moment was that just tanjiro's fate is ambiguous right mm -hmm. um they kind of talked about like they don't know what that means and that it sometimes means that that the person can't decide on which breathing style to use honestly i just thought like when I first saw this episode, watching it my initial time, I saw it as like, ah, Tanjiro is going to be like the avatar of Demon Slayer. He's just going to know all of them <laughs> or he's going to try other ones and just like try and find the best person from each breathing style and like figure it out on his own. So I think it kind of gives us this feeling that we don't know where Tanjiro's story is going, but it's going up from here, which I think is really important. Um like I said, you know, Tondro is one of like my favorite protagonists overall. And I think that's kind of what we've talked about so far in his character development is during these critical moments, he's able to kind of thrive and grow. And then I think, again, with the next few episodes, we get to see kind of what he does with this ambigu ambiguity, which I think is really cool. Kind of moving into one of our, oh, we have a little sneak peek from Tondro himself. I'm sorry. I, I totally just took you off subject, but I just I had to I had to show off my little Tanjiro figurine as we talk about him. <laughs> best boy. Gotta, gotta wrap. Best boy. <laughs> Continue. You're good. Uh, kind of moving into some of the favorite moments of the episode. Um, of course, we meet my main man Zenitsu. Um, he's like, man, I shouldn't even have made it through that. Doesn't matter now. I'm still going to die anyways. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and I love the fact that they gave him a sparrow in those moments. Um, he's like, isn't this supposed to be a crow? And no, he gets this little sparrow. He's not the, you know, obviously strongest character and strongest with confidence. And I think that just kind of reps and builds his character to start from there. And that's why it's my favorite moment is Zenitsu kind of gets uh, handed the hand-me-downs from the start, right? He doesn't get the best of everything. He doesn't have good confidence. And uh, yeah, he's just trying his best, man. He's just barely scraping on. We love Zenitsu in this house, but um, my favorite moment, it, it's like very small and brief, but it it like brings me to my knees every time, man. It is gotta be when Arokodaki sees Tanjiro coming back and it's like you know Nezuko of course it's like this wonderful sibling embrace and that is like so precious as well but it's that moment of like the logs drop from his arms he like can't believe and then he goes and embraces both of them like they're his own children and you can see the tears buckling from under his mask just like you made it back like so like one of you finally made it back and I think that's the moment of realization for him that like this one is different this kid is different so that's mine Oh man, you just took my my favorite, which I kind of figured someone was gonna say that part because it it brings me to tears every time. I literally have to be like, all right, I'm not gonna wear makeup when I watch this episode because there's something so powerful about that reunion. You know, like you you touched on Erdokadaki with like we see his tears through his mask and the way he just drops the wood when he sees Tadro, like what? Like you can tell that he wasn't actually expecting him to come back. Like he truly Felt like he might not make it. Um, and 
I'm going to use the same moment, but I'm going to touch on Ezeko for a moment. Um, something that like really small that I noticed when I was watching this episode again <laughs> was how Tanjiro starts running to her. And of course, she's been asleep for two years. So this is an, an even more special reunion in that moment where it's like he hasn't gotten to talk to her, even though like she doesn't really talk for two years. Like she got turned into a demon and then almost got killed by a demon slayer and then pretty much went to sleep right after. So he hasn't really gotten to interact with her whatsoever. And he is so excited to see her that he like puts a stick down, but forgets that he like pretty much can't move without it because he's so exhausted. He falls to his knees and Nezuko meets him there. And it was just so powerful to me, like that reunion and that bond between the two of them that, you know, she didn't wait for him to come to her. She could sense that maybe he, like, was injured or exhausted and couldn't really do it. And he falls to his knees and she just embraces him. And that, along with Udokidaki crying and that embrace, oh my goodness. I, mm, the emotions. It's It's just such a powerful moment. And it's so beautiful and definitely something that I had to call out. Even even with Emily mentioning it, but it's so powerful. <laughs> well, it really is for, for all three of them. I mean, and one, one small subtlety in the thing that Orokodaki says as well is, at, at least in the translation, um, he says, you came back to us. Like you came back to both of us. So not only is, is it like Nezuko's reunion as well with her brother, Tanjiro's with his sister, Orokodaki with his student, but there's also the implication there then that regardless of Tanjiro would have come back or not that he was going to take care of Nezuko yeah. for the rest of his life as well. Just so sweet. Honestly, that's what kind of I was thinking about, right? They have those Marvel what ifs, right? Demon Slayer what ifs, right? Like would Orokodaki have figured out a way like, hey, Nezuko, you know what? You're the next evolution. Get <laughs> out there, bud. Let's go for it. <laughs> And uh, I think that's really cool that, like, regardless of what he, you know, made out of final selection, he was there for his sister and he committed to the long run, right, of being a demon slayer, right, being the force of justice. And he saw that there was a demon that maybe could be one of those forces of justice. So I definitely think that was a really cool moment to kind of see Orokodaki's empathy come back through, too. Definitely. Yeah, you you really get the sense that he looks at both of them like like family, you know, it's not just him looking at Tanjiro like a son, like he's been taking care of Nezuko this whole time. He's the one who called a doctor for her. He's the one who did the um, hypnosis on her to try and help with her situation, you know, and it's su super powerful. You can see just the development from him in such a short period of time, because when we met him, he was like, like, this is a demon. Like if she, she's going to kill someone. And if that happens, like we're all going to die because we all have to kill ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he's very skeptical at it, at the idea of a good demon at first. And by the time that, you know, this two years is over and he's trained Tanjiro and he's seen, you know, what's going on with Nezuko, he cares about them so much that it's like one family and it's so precious. It's so precious. All right. Well, are there any other moments that you guys wanted to bring up about this episode? Is there anything else you guys wanted to point out today? Just that I am excited about the the introduction of those three other people that survived final selection. Um, 
we only get to see them for a short period of time. And Genya is introduced as this kind of hot-headed, angry boy. Uh, Zenitsu as this scared, I'm going to die. And then Kanao is just standing there not making a sound or an expression whatsoever. And fate is going to bring them together, like all of those kids, you can say, because they're all children. Uh, and of course, there's a there's a fifth survivor that is mentioned by the master um, that there were five people that made it. So again, another little like, oh, we only saw four. And yet he specifically said five. So what's going on here? Um, but just that I'm excited to see what fate does with these characters because we have some really great moments that are to come. Absolutely. And the only other thing that I have to add is that I'm just excited for next week. Um, I, I, I love the little cliffhanger here again. We've got like a little teaser of what's to come next, a little bit of a mystery, like what's going on here and Tanjiro's first real assignment as a demon slayer. So very excited, looking forward to uh, having that conversation next week. That call to action gives me chills every time. Same. Only other thing I want to say is uh, Genya. <laughs> we'll bleep that out later, but uh, Genya, um, get your life together. If you ever harm one of those twins again, y'all going to catch my hands. <laughs> and Tanjiro's. And Tanjiro's. That, that's another thing. Oh my gosh. His his resolve of being like, I will break your arm and then following through practically and being like, all right, fine, I'll do it. I was like, yes. <laughs> And he literally just started squeezing. He was like, try me. I'll squeeze harder. He's he's such a sweet kid. And he's just like, you're going to be mean to this person. I will break your arm. And and Genya's like, that's not going to happen. You're obviously too nice. And he's like, try me. Subtitles be like bones creaking. <laughs> literally. Oh, 11 pants. Oh my God. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. I think we had a really nice, hearty discussion. So thank you guys so much for coming in. We appreciate it. Make sure you give us a like, hit the subscribe, hit the bell icon so you get that every time we upload a new video. Check us out on Spotify. We just made Apple Podcasts this week. We are on all of the platforms everywhere. We are on Twitter, Instagram, all the things, TikTok. So give us a follow at Hashira Half Hour, and we'll see you guys next week. Umai. Umai. Umai.